0: What's up guys? It's David Wright with the New York Mets, and you're listening to the Talking 21 Podcast with my man Danny Torres. Hi, everybody. This is Eric Davis, aka Eric Eric the Red. I'm Talking 21 with Danny Torres. Be there, B Square. Much love. Hi, it's Bob Costas. And you're listening to the Talking 21 Podcast with Danny Torres.
1: Hey, this is Derek Shelton, manager of the Pittsburgh Pirates. Talking 21 with Danny
0: Torres, retire number 21.
1: What's up, everyone? I'm Danny Torres, host of the Talkin' 21 podcast. This month, we celebrate Father's Day, Dia de los Padres, Grandpa, Abuelo, Uncle, Tio, you name it, those extraordinary men who have impacted your life and mine. Our next guest, Tony Gwynn Jr., who is also a father, had an extraordinary father, an extraordinary dad, someone who truly impacted a life, especially his son. In 2007, he was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Check out his stats on baseball reference and all I gotta say, unbelievable. Plus, he had a pretty good mentor and teacher and someone that I think you will know the name, the great Ted Williams. And plus, his father won the Roberto Clemente Award in 1999. Tony Gwynn Jr., who made his major league debut in 2005, played for four teams in the big leagues. Wait till you hear what happened when he connected in his very first major league hit. And all I gotta tell you, that occurred on July 19, 2006, and it is a true story, and it's absolutely crazy. But he eventually decided to transition to the broadcast booth and become one of the lead voices of the San Diego Padres. He's a gifted storyteller, and his message resonates beyond the playing field. And this is where his late father from above is smiling and truly saying from above, my son is a chip off the old block. So I want all my listeners, I want all my viewers to sit back and listen to my conversation with my brother from another mother Tony Gwynn Jr. Well, firstly, Tony Gwynn Jr., I want to
0: welcome you to Talking Twenty One Podcast. How's my man doing? Uh, I'm doing good, man. We got a day off here in DC. Did my radio show. Uh, ran, or excuse me, drove here as quick as I could to, to hop on with you.
1: Well, I appreciate it immensely, and uh, I know you're going to enjoy uh, the questions that I'm going to bring forth. And uh, let's start it off with this, which is something that I was thinking about, Tony. Has anyone even to
0: this day still call you Anthony? Surprisingly, a lot of people call me Anthony. Um, uh-huh. that is that is how my dad referred to me. And many of the people who were around my dad who are still around the organization, who are or I may see him out from time to time. I think they all call me Anthony. Only my peers, uh the people, the 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 people I grew up with call me Tony. Most of the adults, my elders, they they all call me Anthony. Wow. Wow. That's
1: that's pretty cool to know. But again, I remember we met at City Field. I remember when I was looking from the press box and I saw someone taking these uh, imaginary swings. And I literally looked down and I said, yo, who's this guy? I get down there and I kind of just stood to the side uh, by the visitor's dugout and I hear this distinct voice. And immediately I said, wow, this is Tony Gwynn Jr. And now Tony Gwynn is with Danny Torres on Talking 21. So, you know, when I looked on YouTube recently, Tony, I saw this video of you and a 12-year-old Tony Gwynn Jr. What are your recollections of that? Because immediately in that particular segment, they were already talking of a future Tony Gwynn playing Major League Baseball. What are your recollections of that YouTube video?
0: Um. I don't remember it all that well, but what I do remember is it was around the time that my baseball interest had, had started to peak a little bit. Uh, okay. I love I love basketball growing up, and so you know baseball was something I did because you know it was fun. I enjoyed it, but it wasn't my first love. And and so I, in some ways, I think it was good that it wasn't. I didn't I didn't feel the pressure that maybe a 12 year old feels if people are talking about him getting to the big leagues because it wasn't, it wasn't at the forefront of my mind. Now, maybe if baseball was, I might've felt that pressure, but because it wasn't, uh, those interviews like that really didn't, you know, hit me the way they could have.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I could imagine because once again, there's footsteps to follow. And you at 12 years old, having that opportunity to be on the field, to experience that life, you know, again, from the perspective of a 12 year old kid, what it's like to be uh, a part of the big leagues and lo and behold, that becomes a reality. So that dream came true for you and how cool and for our listeners and our viewers that this might not, Tony, ever happen again. What what occurred for you in 2006 and what occurred for your dad in 1982? So, if you could share for our listeners and
0: viewers exactly what happened uh, for your major league debut, we we both got our hits. 24 year. Well, I got my first big league hit 24 years from the day that he got his first big league hit. That's crazy. It is crazy. And, and you know, again, when you're when you're in it, you know, I, it was a it was a. It was something that I knew and people told me about. But you don't understand the significance until you're older or you start to set into your career and you realize there, there's just a lot of things that have to go your way in order for something like that to line up. Um, he got his uh, against the Phillies, got to first base. Pete Rose was on first base at the time. Is that uh, something? And I think he told him something along the lines of, don't try to catch me all in one night, kid. Something <laughs> along those lines. Um, but you know, 24 years later in San Francisco, I get my, uh, first hit and, uh, it was a double just like his was. So there were, there were a bunch of different, things. not only did we get our first hit on the same day, 24 years apart, they both were doubles. Um, and you know, it's something that him and I will forever be linked together on.
1: And Tony, could you tell our listeners and viewers where that double landed for both your dad and Tony Gwynn Jr.?
0: Yeah. Uh, right, right right field line. Uh, and,
1: and, and, and and who played right field for the Pittsburgh Pirates? Come on, that's let's what a coincidence, a, coincidence there. What there's a coincidence. A, there's, <laughs> there's
0: a lot of connections there, right, Tony? Oh, Quentin. big
1: time, big time. <laughs> you know, during your eight seasons, Tony, you know, what could you say for you, for Tony Gwynn Jr., for Anthony, what would you say was the highlight for you in those eight
0: seasons in the big leagues? In terms of, I mean... Getting to play in your hometown is, I, I think, the ultimate, right? Um, and, you,
1: and you wore dad's number, right? Oh, no, you wore it actually no, with Philadelphia. You wore it with Philadelphia.
0: I, I actually was, my dad, you know, so it's an interesting story. I got traded to the Padres in May of, of 2006. Um, or excuse me, May of 2009. My dad was the one that broke the news to me. He was the one that called really? me uh, and said, hey, man, uh, you're about to be a Padre. Now, wow. The second conversation was about me wearing his number, and uh, he had given Kevin Towers, who was the GM at the the time, permission for me to wear the number. And I, you know, I had too much respect for my dad and everything he had accomplished um, to want to take that number, you know, down out of the out of the office at center field at the time is where they hung it. Um, I didn't feel good about that, and so, and not to mention, I wanted to kind of carve out my own lane in the game of baseball.
1: And I like your thought process there, Tony, because immediately I'm just saying to myself that you would have had that opportunity to wear the number and you were like, you know, dad, I think uh, I'd rather it, you know, stay there in the, uh, on the outfield wall, retired for fans to enjoy, but I want to carve my own little niche. And, you know, Tony, I got to respect you for that. That's, that's Bravo to you. You know, I, I I, I like hearing that.
0: Yeah. I mean, listen, I think, you know, when you grow up uh, the son of, of Tony Gwynn or or any kid that's grown up in that kind of walking those footsteps that their dad has, especially at a at a big league level, um, there's an element of you that wants to be able to to step outside of those those steps and you know, kind of create your own trail, if you will. Yeah, and yeah. that was my first opportunity to get a chance to play on a consistent basis. So I certainly wanted my number to to be that representation. Yeah, you know, so I, um, I ended up taking uh, 18, which was one number below his.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, it's smart. You know, that's uh, and a lot of times what I've noticed where those that want to even consider wearing number 21, if they don't have the opportunity to wear 21, they'll wear 22, they'll wear 20. So, you know, you did again, as I had mentioned, you wore the number 19 for the Philadelphia Phillies. You know, I'd like to talk about your father, um, Tony. Yeah. You know, you and I, when we were last together when the Mets were playing at uh, – the Mets and the Padres were playing at City Field, we had a good laugh because I just really, truly enjoyed that conversation between Ted Williams and your father. Yeah, And I'm just curious because, once again, your father was almost like a little kid in that interview. He was so awestruck being with Ted Williams. Was there anything that didn't make that recording that dad told you after the fact that he said, Anthony, this is something Ted talked about but it didn't go out for the general public to hear. Did he make, did he share anything with you about Ted Williams?
0: He, he talked a lot about his humor uh, that, that didn't make the film. It wasn't. Uh, I don't know that it was appropriate at all the time in terms of baseball. Uh, one of the things he that he talked about, and I'm not sure if it ended up making it on there or not, uh, was they had a conversation on the ball on the inner half. And largely up into that conversation, I think it was 1992 or 1993, my dad was really content in kind of inside out in the baseball, blocking it off to left field because he knew he could get hits like that all day long. He had proven that up into that point, 10, 11 years into his career. But the following year after that conversation, because of the words that Ted Williams told him about, you know, Hitting the ball in the inner half and hitting it with authority, meaning extra bases or home runs, will eventually get these pitchers back where you really want them anyway, which is a way. And the next year, I think he set his career high in home runs at the time. Um, and that's where you started to see him elevate um as a hitter. I mean, he was all, he was a, at that time, I think he was a three-time batting champ, four-time batting champ at that time. But it was that next 10 years that he would become the hitter that we remember him as now. Um, and,
1: and, you know, Tony, it just seems as as dad got older, he got better.
0: Yeah. And that's even something that the late
1: great voice of the Padres, a former major leaguer, Jerry Coleman, actually
0: said that, that your father got better as he got older. And, 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 and you know, we, we see it. That's the hardest thing to do in baseball is to get better as you get older because, you know, the game is constantly getting younger. You know, yeah. velocity going up. Your body's not definitely not be able to do the same things that it was. But my dad was a very meticulous worker when it came to what he expected and what he was doing at the plate. And that conversation to Ted, he was always wanted to learn more. There was always something to be learned. That's one of the things that he taught me. But that conversation, I think, changed him as a hitter. And that's where he started to really gain national notoriety was as he started chasing 400, he started driving in 100 runs. I mean, those are the type of things that he hadn't done prior to that point in his his career. He started doing in the back half of his career. You know, um,
1: something that just stuck out right now And before I even get into this question, Tony, and it's just sadly because it's just something that in 2023 we talk about. Being a Black player for Tony Gwynn, what did that mean for Tony? Or was Tony that type of player, whether this is what he taught his children, this is something that was not something
0: that he talked about, being a Black Major League Baseball player? Well, I think partly... Early in his career, in the 80s, the game was doing pretty good with black players. There were a lot of black. I mean, I I grew up watching a game where it was easy to find a black superstar in the game. And that is the era that my dad kind of came up in. Yeah, I would agree. Towards the back end of his career, you started to see it. it. It was a conversation him and his brother Chris had very often especially as he moved out of the professional realm and into the college realm, where it's even more noticeable than it is in in the pro ball. And, and so it was something that was very important to him, um, trying to figure out ways. And he felt like he could best affect it at the collegiate level as a head coach, You know, getting kids into college to be able to play and grow as baseball players it was something that was very important. I mean, I knew I got a chance to on two different occasions, meet Buck O'Neill, um, who I, I remember it very vividly at Qualcomm stadium came down, him and my dad were conversating. Just, you could just feel the the love of, of the game of baseball that he shared in his stories and talking with my father. And um, you know, those are things that I definitely had to know. I mean, I was quizzed on that kind of stuff all the time. Who's this player? Where were they from? Who did they play for? Um, it wasn't like a, a class session, but when the opportunities I had to go with my dad, to, to whether we were traveling to a city or whether I was just going to the field at home, um, those that's something that that came up often.
1: I'm glad you brought up Bakunia because, yes, I have to agree. I had an opportunity to meet him as well. First time ever. Actually, it was with Bob, Ken- Bob Kendrick. He was at... Uh, PNC Park when the uh, Pirates hosted the All-Star Game. You know, I appreciated, uh, Tony, how much your dad talked about and wanting to stay in San Diego, but something that was troubling for me that came about after his passing. Going up as a New York fan, I have to be very honest, it's not something that I followed uh, your dad's playing career with the San Diego Padres, but when I heard this about the Players Association wanting him to test the market. And I understand wanting him to see how much money he could command on the open market. But you're going to be mad at Tony Gwynn because he wants to stay in San Diego. (laughs) I got a problem with that. I got a problem with that. But I literally, I applaud your father. I wish I could have met your dad, but to pretty much dad, I'm certain he said, I want to stay in San Diego.
0: Yeah, I mean, listen, my dad was a he was a principled man. And um, I think to some extent he not to some extent, I think he understood where the union was coming from. I mean, you know, you are a part of more than just yourself when you become a big a major league ball player. So he certainly did begrudge them for feeling some type of way that he was making the decision that he was making. However, he was gonna still make the best decision for him and his family, and that was the number one priority. You know, my dad grew up in long he was born and raised in Los Angeles, grew up in Long Beach, California, which was only an hour and a half, 2 hours away from San Diego. From college on, he was in San Diego and that was what he knew. My dad's comfort level there was at its highest. He felt like he could be his best version of himself there. And if that meant for him that he had to take a little less to stay where he was comfortable and happy and felt like he could be his best version of himself. He was fine with whatever flack came his way uh, because he was making the decision best for him and his family.
1: And bravo to that. Um, Sadly, next year, 10 years, your dad passed away. And we all know those accolades that uh, are – on his Hall of Fame plaque in Cooperstown, New York, but losing your father at such a young age, and even when you think about it, uh, Clemente's three uh, children losing their own father yeah. um, 50 years ago at a very young age. But with regards to your dad, it was cancer, it was sal- the salivary, salivary gland itself that uh, the uh, cancer sadly began to grow. And we all know what the cause is. You know, we all know it is something that is called the dip. And have you, Tony, now that you're in the broadcast booth and getting a chance to be up close for players after your playing career, to be able to educate uh, players who might even consider to want to basically, in essence, put this smokeless tobacco in their mouth, something that's been a tradition for so many years with professional athletes and specifically baseball players?
0: You know, what's interesting in this generation of players get a lot of flack about a lot of different things but they're so much more educated and take so much better care of themselves when it comes to those things when i was playing and that was you know 2015 was my last year so it wasn't that long ago about eight years ago um dip chewing tobacco was was rampant you could find it anywhere you could see it in anybody's pocket, you could see it. You can see it anywhere. And uh, and Tony, twenty twenty three, I still see it. You you still see it, but not yeah. nearly as much as as you as you used to. I mean, it was a way of life, you know, when my dad was playing, and even when I was playing. And I just think, although it, you know, I don't know that you're going to fully eradicate it out of the game of baseball. In my opinion, it is used a lot less than it used to be and I think that's partly because uh, of the education that's out there I think when my dad passed it was it was a a bit of a shock to baseball in some ways and um, I would like to think that his death hasn't been in vain in, in, in that from that standpoint that people are more aware and are making better choices with it I know I'm down there I'm down there every day I don't see it nearly as much as I used to see it when I was playing.
1: Tony, let me ask you, if you were to see a player in 2023, would you say something? Would you go to him? Um, or, you know, everyone you know has to make their is, own decision.
0: Even as my dad was was fighting his fight um, and was, a, you know, still doing games for a little bit, he always felt like that wasn't his place to be telling mm. somebody, you know, what okay. they, what kind of decisions they should make. Okay. Uh, you have an opportunity to learn from other people's decisions that you see out there but ultimately these are 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 grown men that are going to make their own decision and um i don't know that he was comfortable i know i certainly wouldn't be comfortable now okay. if 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 a player came up that was a user and asked me about it i would certainly give him my my spiel on on why he shouldn't be using it yeah 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 You know, your dad won
1: the Roberto Clemente award in 1999 and uh, just doing a little research and I came across the the words he actually spoke um, when it was announced that he won the award. I can't begin to describe to you what a big thrill this is. As a kid, you hear about Roberto Clemente. I sat right behind him in right field at Dodger Stadium and was able to realize this guy doesn't get as much credit as some of the other guys. Did he ever share anything with you so many years later when he literally, we all have seen the expression and on YouTube, the recording when he heard the announcement that he was inducted into the baseball hall of fame. Yeah. Do you remember him sharing uh, with you, with your mom, just with your sister, with the extended family winning the Roberto Clemente award?
0: Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. That was outside of his, his gold gloves that, he had to work extremely hard to get. Um, that was his most prestigious award. Um, in part because of who it represented and what it represents. And, you know, that's a community award. Like you have to be embedded in your community and really um, at the forefront of of elevating other people. And um, I think Obviously, that's what Roberto Clemente stood for. Outside of him being a generational type of baseball player, um, and so you win that award, it's it's a big deal. It's it's something that you you have to earn over a lot over a, court, a long period of time. So there's a consistent element that's to it, and uh, he certainly cherished that award um, more so than he did any of his batting titles. You
1: sound just like with uh, a previous podcast guest, Eric Davis. And it was funny, Eric, I'll share this with you, because it's actually quite funny. He has the award, and he had said something to the effect. My kids look to sell that award. I'm telling you right now, I'm coming back to haunt them. I'm telling (laughs) you right now. And he just did like the sound, like he was a spirit. He was like, ooh, you know, and we just started cracking up. You know, uh, in the spirit of Roberto Clemente, uh, Tony, I want to applaud you on your efforts with the American Lung Association, especially wanting to reach out to communities of color. And I want you to share for our listeners and our viewers uh, specifically why
0: the American Lung Association. Um, As a young kid, I I grew up with asthma, um, as did my, my father. And, you know, in the 80s, as I was a kid uh, growing up, there wasn't a lot of the technology and medicine that there is now, and um, I had it. I had it really rough up until I was about nine or ten years old. I was in and out of the hospital um, until I until my mom, who you know is is the backbone of all of this that that we're talking about. Uh, I mean, she searched and searched and searched and searched to find a doctor that could give her some answers. I would go to school through the weekday. I went to a school that had like farm animals. And so I would go and just be sick as a dog for five days. And then the weekend would come and I'd be great. And it took me going into a hospital for about two weeks before we figured out what it was that was making my asthma just flare up. It was those animals. And it was with a a, a doctor by the name of Dr. Welsh that was the one that finally figured it out. And so, you know, at that time, there was a lot of talk, you know, a lot of conversation that if you had asthma, you couldn't be a professional athlete. There's just no way you're going sure. to do it. And so, um, in part, I got involved because of my own personal experience, my my dad's own personal experience. But the, the fact that I was able to break down that barrier that, you know was up there and it was probably because of a, a lack of education really um that I got involved I, you know when you think about you know communities of color that don't have the information that I was you know fortunate enough to to have you know what how many dreams are being crushed because of that and so um not only does the lung American lung Association do a good job of of, of providing these these unbelievable doctors, but they provide the information that is just as important um, for, for communities of color that, that typically wouldn't get um, this kind of information.
1: And to have an ambassador like Tony Gwynn Jr., again, I, I want to applaud you for that. Um, Tony, I want to talk about now that you've transitioned to a broadcaster and you know the power of words. you know now your platform. And that's a huge platform because you're representing the San Diego Padres. But something happened recently. And you know exactly what I'm talking about with the Oakland A's organization. That broadcaster is no longer an employee uh, with the Oakland A's. But what came out of that, which again, I have to applaud someone that you and I know very well, uh, the Negro League president of the uh, of the museum Kendrick. there in Kansas City, Bob Kendrick, that once that came out, the backlash on social media because you had a video, and uh, I believe maybe a day later, I believe, he put out a release. And yep. in that release stating that he met, he welcomed uh, the A's announcer, the former A's announcer, and he had basically, in essence, forgiven him for what had happened. And I got to also applaud someone who won the Roberto Clemente Award as well, Mr. Dave Stewart, who definitely would have had a relationship with him. And he was just as forgiving as Bob Kendrick. So I kind of would like to hear your thoughts, Tony, on what occurred. And where, in, in essence, where do you stand
0: on something like that? I think, you know, it's a it's 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 a hurt, regardless of whether it was intentional or unintentional. In my opinion, it didn't seem like it was intentional. It didn't seem like it was malicious. Um, those words are powerful and they're hurtful. And um, you know, there are always going to be, especially when you're dealing in this world of TV and, and radio media, there's always going to be consequences to to yeah. those type of, those type of things. So. Um, I, I agreed with Bob and Dave in terms of of their forgiveness, right? Both in Bob's case, he had recently just you know walked uh, walked them through a a tour of the the museum, um, yeah. Museum and Dave's case, he's he's known uh, Kuiper for a long time, um, so I, I recognize that. Um, however, you know, this that is part of the consequence of the mistake. Do I think he should? never have a career again no I, I think that's this is punishment enough to be yeah. be quite frank you know you lose he your was, life he was he was he was terminated he was yeah. terminated yeah. terminated today and so um I I think you know the mistake was made I'll, I I I'll i believe him when he says it was a mistake I I have forgiven him for it um and it's just one of those really unfortunate you know situations yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, talking about broadcasting, but something else that I know is near and dear to you. That's fatherhood. And oh, yeah. you have four children, three daughters, and now finally a son <laughs> by a help me out if his nickname is Trey, because Nick, he is now Anthony Keith Gwen the third. So yeah. what can Tony Gwen, what could Anthony tell me? of what you have shared with your children about their grandfather and what specifically you want your children to know about their late grandfather who literally impacted this world not only in baseball but also something that you shared earlier which for me is literally walking in the footsteps of what Roberto Clemente wanted to do with Sport City with being able to help the next generation of ball players the children your father specifically was the coach, a collegiate coach at, yeah. in San Diego, San Diego State. And tell me what you have shared with your children about your father and their
0: grandfather. Well, I'm, I mean, whether they like it or not, they're reminded of my dad every day. Um, I mean, the city of San Diego has not forgotten about my pops at all. So, I Mr. mean, Padre,
1: it's, and I've taken a picture in front of that statue, too, when right. I was in
0: San Diego. Right. So it's, it's it, you know, whether they like it or not, they're, they're reminded. But in terms of what I've told them, what my mom has told them, their Gigi um, is the type of human being that he was. Uh, my dad enjoyed conversation. He enjoyed getting to know people um, and he wanted to help ultimately that that's what he wanted to do he was happened to be a really good baseball player but uh he wanted to help people he wanted to help people reach their max potential um and, you know that's how I, I try to raise my kids is, you know um be mindful be observant um you know do the could thing- you,
1: could, could, could you do me a favor though and I, this is just me for selfish reasons could you make sure you got Tray into the sport that i love that i know you love and that's baseball i want to see another Tony grid on the field i mean oh, it's Tra- just me you know <laughs> he's my he's
0: my last shot at it so I, i'm gonna do my best um, please please <laughs> he, he's got the itch right now he's playing he's playing is he playing really, yeah. playing a little ball so i told him once summer comes around he's out of school I'll, I'll take him to the stadium with me a little more often so he could just be around it because you know, in terms of my son, that's the thing that I, I just want to provide to him. He sure. doesn't have to necessarily go on the field and shag or like yeah. I did hit in the cage like I did. But just being in the presence of these big leaguers yeah, yeah. firing and he won't know it because I didn't know it, how inspiring it was until I was older. But hey, listen, you said you shared that earlier with the video when you're
1: 12 years old. You said, Danny, I don't necessarily have much recollection of that. But, you know, so it's going to probably be the same thing with your son.
0: Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. That's that's the goal. Now, he has a lot of he, he loves all sports. So, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to I'm going to treat it much like my dad did. My dad was hands off. He let me develop a love for the game on my own, um, never forced it down my throat. And I think baseball is one of those thro- sports you can't. There's just there's so much failure in it that if you don't love it. You're not going to you, be your chances of making it are already what, what,
1: what, what do we always say, Tony? You know it, and I know it three out of 10 times.
0: You could three be out of go- 10 times, you could be great, three out of 10. And but and so, you, but you got to have the right mindset that that is okay. You know, most of the things we do in life 30 percent ain't cutting it, ain't cutting the mustard. Most no, of the not things at all, do, uh, except for baseball, and that's because it's a very difficult sport to play, and you just have to have the 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 temperament to deal with failure.
1: Yeah. Finally, for Tony Gwynn Jr., for Anthony, the retirement of Roberto Clemente's number throughout Major League Baseball. I'd love to hear your thoughts.
0: I, I think it's about that time. You know? Um there's only one number to this point that's been retired and obviously that's Jackie's is not it, what he did for to break the color barrier in general. Um, not only the baseball color barrier, but you know societal color barrier. Um, but for the Spanish community, um, Roberto, Clemento, Roberto Clemente is that dude. He's that guy for them. And and so um, there's, I mean, the fact that there's already an award that covers what it covers lets you know the type of impact he had. You yeah. know, and, and so. I, I think it's only a matter of time.
1: I believe that's going to happen, uh, Tony Gwynn Jr. And uh, I can't thank you enough for being on the Talking 21 podcast. And I wanted to make you feel a little bit at home, Tony, because I don't know if this looks familiar to you, but you see what oh. I got there, brother? Oh, there so, uh, and just to let you know, this is an actual MLB jersey that was once worn by Alex Torres in 2014. And it actually has the commemorative patch of someone that you know very well or knew very well. Your dad knew very well and Jerry Coleman spoke so glowingly of your father. And I just wish I had the opportunity to have met him. But to know that I have his son as a friend, a friend from afar, but a friend from a phone call away, a text away. Tony Gwynn Jr., thank you so very much. And I appreciate once again, I'm being on the Talking 21 podcast. And as I like to say always, on behalf of my producer extraordinaire, Las who is actually traveling from Pittsburgh as we speak, the home of the great Roberto Clemente. Thank you, Tony Gwynn Jr. for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me, Dan. Anthony, Tony Jr., I appreciate immensely that you've been a part of the Talking 21 journey. You are now family. And I, again, appreciate our brotherhood and our friendship. There's something that I was able to pick up about you from afar when I was standing in that press box looking at you on the field at City Field. And I said to myself, this is someone who I have to meet. And once I knew it was Tony Gwynn Jr., literally what your dad did and now what you're continuing to do in the broadcast movement, organizations that you've been a part of, it's spreading that message of goodwill. So Tony Jr., Anthony, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. And for those that are now just discovering Talking 21, it's very simple. I want you to subscribe. I want you to rate. I want you to like. I want you to comment. I want you to do everything that you can do to spread that message of the Talking 21 podcast. So, on behalf of my producer extraordinaire, Rasquevara, our team of Cam and Sierra, and everyone that puts this production together, I want to thank them most importantly. And the one thing that I always like to say, to continue to do great things and to continue to breed great ones. Thank you.